0: Hello, and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast, in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson, and today we have Rob Wegner. He leads the Kansas City Underground, a decentralized network of reproducing disciples and microchurches in Kansas City. We have a great conversation around activating all of God's people, following the Holy Spirit, reproducing disciples, and so much more. You may even get a little Star Wars thrown in. So without further ado, here's Rob Wegner. Rob Wegner, welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast. Glad to have you here.
1: Uh, it's really a fun, man, to be in this conversation with you today. Thank you for the invite.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've been in the same city for a little while, and so our paths have crossed a little bit, but we haven't spent as much time together. Uh, as I think we need to, yeah, so. we can
1: start fixing that right now. <laughs> I know. So I'm glad to have
0: this conversation with you to dig deep a little bit into your story um, and to see what's going on uh, in Kansas City. Um, you know, one of the things that was was a little fascinating about your story is you started out as you know as a teaching pastor uh, on staff at a large church, and then you started to say, hey. Maybe there's something about reproducing disciples and micro churches in the city that fascinates me. Let me go try that. How did that come about? And what was that story there?
1: Well, uh, I went to a conference and then I was <laughs> super inspired and I bought a kit and then I.
0: <laughs> Perfect. All right, just let everybody know what kit that was, and uh... <laughs> it's
1: uh, on sale today. Actually, with this code, <laughs> so, but it—you know—it's a tough—it's a—it's a tough question to know how to answer because, like, when I look back on my story, um, it really started when I was a teenager because I had a unusual youth pastor who was. Yeah. Um, grew up in the mission field and knew what disciple making was. And from the get-go, I remember him saying us this first casual gathering at his house, you know, him casting this vision for us leading the youth ministry. And I remember at the time I was maybe 14, I was like, <laughs> no, I don't know. Right. Like I thought, I thought we were going to play some games or something. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But he invited, you know, about 12 of us pretty good number and started investing in us and discipling us. And, mm. you know, and it happened, you know, we, wow. we started leading our friends to Jesus. And a couple of years later I was discipling three or four guys that led to mm-hmm. Christ. And, and, and that whole group, basically all of them did.
0: <laughs> I wow. was uh,
1: and it, that youth ministry was inside this really sleepy insular church in the South side of Chicago, but the youth ministry, did end up having the vibe of a movement to it you know <laughs> and so i was really i mean his name is dan and he's my hero and yeah. in his 60s he uh planted a church <laughs> <laughs> he's like one of those guys like yeah just energized but energizer bunny you know yeah. and then jump forward <laughs> i was at this large church in indiana that started out as a church plant yep. my wife and i were there i was 21 she was 19 and mm. We didn't have a building in the first 10 years. So we'd met in like 17 different rented facilities over the years (laughs) and everything was pushed into kind of first, second, and third spaces. And our gathering space was a movie theater and this is before it was cool for a church to meet in a movie theater. Like people yeah. wondered if we were a cult or what was going on, you yeah. know?
0: First time and, I uh, attended a church in a movie theater, I was in Spokane, Washington, going down the street, there's a church in a movie theater. I was like, what is this? Is this a real church? Can we have right. this? <laughs> was,
1: the sound of the benediction for us is flapping yeah. theater seats. <laughs> right. But what was cool is that first 10 years, it it still had that, vibe of like a decentralized movement you know because uh we Uh were reaching people that were far from jesus it wasn't you know the quote-unquote cheap shift because like church people are like i'm not going to that it's weird you know um but we weren't super uh in the youth ministry we we continued with the same disciple making ethos but the adults didn't and Mm sean i kind of kept doing our thing with students you know and young adults And then year 10, we built a building and it, the church like blew up, like we grew a thousand people. I think it was in three months and then it just kept going
0: like, wow.
1: And then we're this church of like 7,000 gathering on the weekends in a town of 46,000 people. So it was felt like a little miracle in a cornfield, but what happened is it kept getting more and more centralized. And then the solutions we were coming up with, Mm. I felt like I kind of lost my way. Yeah. Even, you know, we're like trying to come up with these kind of like large-scale, you know, initiatives to try to get people in community and help discipleship right. and all the right words, but uh, all the wrong kind of systems, you know what I mean? Right.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, and right at that same time, my job shifted and I fell really deep into the world of disciple-making movements in India.
0: <laughs>
1: and uh, one of the guys who was a mentor, um, his name is Ron Vandergren, and he's got, he's like a Barnabas. He's got this gift for finding young apostolic leaders and just yeah. mentoring them. And there's probably at least, I bet, 50 to 75,000 church plants in his lineage. Like, wow. um, And he put me with this group of seven apostolic leaders in India. They're all, he had kind of brought together to form like a new team Yep. that was focusing on gospel saturation in South India. And that was a real moment because in that first meeting, like they had a map you know, and they're looking at the southern two or three states and they had data on where all the unreached people groups are and all the unreached villages that don't have a gospel yeah. presence. And and they were creating a plan like we're going to get to every single unreached village, unreached people group. And I remember my brain just blowing up. I'm like, I'm thinking about how many people come to my weekend service. <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah. How many are coming to me? Yeah.
1: And I was like, oh, Lord. And then it like reawakened all of that, like early disciple making. It was Mm -hmm. like, oh, we need to go back. And I felt that ache growing in my heart in that large church. It's like somehow this is so great and it's all off at the same time, you know? So basically when I came to Kansas City, at that point, I had been running kind of experiments at that large church in Indiana. And we'd seen people become missionary disciple makers. Some micro churches emerged, but that church pretty much decided they didn't want it, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. Um, cause it started creating this tension. It was almost like two different churches in the same yep. church. Um, and it was, there was like an institutional decision, like, Hey, you can do this here, but it's going to be like a C minus priority. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it was like, Oh, oh I get yeah. it. Yeah. All right. I got it. Um, and it was actually, I'm joking around about it. It was actually super painful. Cause yeah. it was like, I thought this ship was turning yep. and it was like the death of a dream. We'd been there 22 years. So when I came to Kansas city and started at Westside family church, They really, um, they basically said, hey, they just kind of dipped their toe into church planning internationally and they're like, help us go all in. So we started basically, they had been very involved in um, orphan care. So wherever (laughs) they had these orphan care centers, we started setting up training hubs and that's gone bonkers. They're like, where we've started the hubs, it's in four different countries. They're they're up to like 7,000 plus, man uh, churches in the movement now. So cool. Um, but I said, my other half of the job is I'm just want to do this with people in Kansas city. And they're like, awesome. And I was like, great. Like, are you serious? Cause I'm, I'm going to do this. <laughs> well, in two or three years, it's gonna, like, we're going to have to start making some difficult decisions, you know? Yep. Um, cause that's kind of my experience. If you let this go like yeast in the dough for a few years, yep. then a church has to decide if they want to restructure or not. Yep. And it's a difficult decision because it's really hard. It is Um, because it's like now we're going to start changing like our structure and our staff and our priorities. And it's nice when it's a little, you know, skunk works. And we're like, yeah, but then it's (laughs) like, are we going to actually change the center to start serving the margins rather than try to get everybody on the margins to come into our building at the center? And it's a fundamental shift. You know, yeah, it, what, I- what happened at West side is it really became, um, clear, like the best thing for West side and for what was emerging is like, Hey, let's form a new organization. Mm. And that's where the Kansas city underground was born. Like we basically launched a mission agency in Kansas city yeah. to help, um, you know, hopefully move the needle on gospel saturation in our city. Like how do we get a missionary in every street? How do we get a, see a microchurch emerge? in every network. Yeah. And it's a crazy audacious, like what? You know how complex <laughs> the urban setting is. We're talking about thousands and yeah. thousands
0: and thousands of like no, I think pockets of people. We've been you know been talking, you know, in the mission circles, we've been talking a lot about the urban settings and the urban core and how do we how do we create movement in in the urban core? What does it look like? Um and I think, you know, as you're getting into new missionaries on every street What does that look like?
1: Again, it always comes back to how can we activate all of God's people? Yeah, Because, um, we don't have to figure out the plan. Jesus is the head. And I really believe in any city, if we activate God's people, that the needs of that city will be met. Like the Lord is building a city within the city. He's building Zion within Babylon. And if we activate God's people into. The primary mission of making disciples but also their personal calling then the the genius of the holy spirit assigning people at certain times and places and people groups um will begin to happen um organically you know instead of me trying to mastermind or somebody trying to mastermind right. this thing where that like that's in the headship of uh, up there that's way above our pay grade like we're not going to figure that stuff out ever we're not really supposed to so what we're supposed to do it's back to ephesians 4 like how do we actually equip the saints for works of service yep so what we're trying to do is like when we see let's say three or five micro churches emerge in a certain part of the city so it starts with just missionaries so we have like okay here's a hub and for us the hub is not a church plant it's it's Fundamentally, it's an apostolic equipping team. So we want all five voices of Ephesians four being heard—apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, shepherd, teacher—and yep. then there's a certain set of um, capacities we're trying to build. You know, so we have like a personal discovery team, which is we want to help you discover your Ephesians two ten masterpiece mission. You need to get clarity on whom you're sent to, and yep. who else you're going to need on your team. Yep. You know, because no one gets sent alone. Um, and then we have start coaching and we have what we call the missionary pathway. And it's five phases that um, Jesus went through or the early church went through all these great disciple making movements around the world, go through these five phases. We didn't make this up. We basically just learned it from our mentors over there. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, we've kind of rebranded it for the Western context, you know? Yep. Um, but it starts with extraordinary prayer and fasting, live as a missionary, plant the gospel Micro church emerges, multiplication. We're adding this sixth thing up top, which you could call chaos. Yeah. So like, you're always going to hit chaos, and it's going to be opposition, or it's going to be persecution. It's going to be, you know, and and it pushes the church back into extraordinary prayer and fasting. So like, expect the chaos up top, right?
0: I love Um, that that sixth element, the chaos. You know, even in our training, I mean, we have different words for it, but it's the same five elements, right? Um, Yeah. But it's that chaos. I always like to talk to our, you know, our missionaries that we're training that it's it's going to be chaotic. It, there's hard work in the middle. Like at the beginning, everybody is like they have rose colored glasses. They think, you know, I'm going to go out and we're going to see a big movement happen. This is going to be amazing. But they don't realize the actual toll of one foot in front of the other of every single day discipling others and all the crazy chaos that happens in the midst of it. I like that. Yeah, you're
1: you're going up against, you know, there's principalities and powers that are working against us that have established these systems of oppression that literally impact everybody. And then you've got the ground war of just strongholds in people's lives, generational stuff that's been passed down. And then a culture that's kind of adrift. So it's getting more and more. I don't say this like in a with condemnation, but it's getting more and more pagan. You know, yeah, like there's less and less that you can assume in terms of like any kind of um, moral foundation or agreement. Right. You know, yeah. and and in, in the like in our neighborhood, you know, we've seen like um, like cycles. You know, like okay, this first batch of people that. Met Jesus, you know? Mm. And then there's this like the second wave, and we're like on the third wave. But what's interesting, like we have these new people that are coming in in this third wave, but the people that came in on the first and second wave were like getting way deep into like gospel work in their lives. And it's really like it's intense. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like, and Michelle and I were talking about it today. It's like this way of being the church is very simple, but it literally costs you everything. Yeah. Like, Every time we walk out the door now, you know, you're like, we're in a season with our microchurch. It's like, we're going to end up having like an hour long conversation on the sidewalk. And we're going into their deep generational history of bitterness and forgiveness. And, you know, it's like, I was just going out to walk the dog. (laughs) It's like, no, this is the work. Like, this is the thing we've been praying for. Yeah. But that's why this hub team is so important because the hub team is there, like supporting, energizing, equipping you know, and, and we have, we have startup coaching where we take them through like a seven week cuddle on those five phases of the missionary pathway. But then there's ongoing coaching where it's like, you're in a coaching circle and you have some peers and you've got one or two people that are further along where like, and that's where the magic is like that sort of Pauline voice, you know, into the lives of the missionaries and the microchurch leaders is so important. And one thing that's different, you know, we're in the underground network everything we do we're standing on tampa's shoulders but we're iterating you know and one of the things that we're doing differently is they have like one hub for all of tampa like Mm -hmm. for us it's like man we're trying to do a lighter lighter weight version of a hub so we can multiply these teams all over the city because i think you really need somebody who's in your neck of the woods man
0: yeah you do and then like you can't have that
1: kind of in calling have one
0: one hub is actually getting back to the problem of You know, it could end up eventually getting back to a centralized place and the centralization of it and not a decentralized uh, network uh, of churches. And so even when we have our best intentions, um, I think, I don't know, maybe our comfort, being comfortable, brings us back to the center um, so that we could stay there. Um, Instead of starting to continue to push out on the edges. So how do we how do we get there? How do we continue to push out on the edges and have stamina for the long haul?
1: Well, um, I mean, first and foremost, it's about uh, learning how to abide, you know, how to how to be alone with Jesus in kind of the most intimate yeah. place with him and then how to spend an ordinary day with him. And one of the things that we're trying to really bake deeply into our culture. Um, and my wife has really been instrumental in this um, is a culture of um, really um, intentional kind of soul care yeah, and spiritual formation. You know, when we, that personal discovery team, you know, I'm on that team and um and i'm one of the folks that like walks people through their assessment process and then we put together like a customized spiritual formation plan for them that's part of the coaching you know and it's about a year's worth of spiritual direction wow i was working on one yesterday i'm gonna meet with one of our missionaries one of our new missionaries tomorrow and it's just like this sacred space where we create this um there's assessments but there's also a survey and in the survey, we ask very pointed questions. Like hmm. we're trying to get at how are you doing spiritually? Yeah. How are you emotionally? Your most important relationships and your finances. Yeah, Right? Like we're not going to, when you're starting your missionary training with us, it's like, we're re- we want to get into your business. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and what happens is we, we <laughs> say to people like, you're going to get out of this, what you put into it. So you yep. can answer these questions with one sentence if you want. Yeah. Or you can invite us into your story and we'll honor whatever you give us. Well, this guy was just here it is, man. You know what I mean? He mm-hmm. just and I'm so excited to meet with him, you know, because um I I think what's gonna come out of that for him, and we've seen this happen over and over again. People get to the end of that. Um, we basically meet with them, we walk through their assessments and mm-hmm. then like here's your customized spiritual development plan. And my wife, you know, she got a certification from fuller. She's finishing her master's right now and all this stuff. So she's really good at it and taught us how to do it. And, um, like people literally have said this over and over again, like I've never felt this known or understood before. (laughs) And that I now have like a one of a kind, like spiritual formation plan that's built around my particular. And I think that's unique with what we're doing. Like, a lot of the missionary training stuff I see um, it's very much about the tactics. Right. It's a lot about, you know, and those are important, like knowing, like, how do you find a person of peace? You know, how do you, yeah. how do you actually plan a gospel at the DBS? How do you, you know, all, all that stuff yep. is super important, but to go slow enough to um, like, you can't skip the upper room. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: One hundred percent. And a big part of that, or like Jesus out in the wilderness, it's like, You have to go toe-to-toe with your demons. Like, Mm -hmm. what are the lies regarding your identity and your story and your past? And that all doesn't get done in one session. You know that. But, like, we start that trajectory with our missionaries from the beginning to say mission is out of the overflow of communion, you know? And so creating that as a part of the culture, as a part of the coaching, and then it begins to spill into them. The micro churches, you know, and we're creating. Like my wife is almost done with like a soul care training huddle that we can take missionaries through, or micro church yeah. family can go through. So you good. know, so we're trying to build that. The sustainability comes in that place of abiding rhythms of work and rest, yep. knowing how to tend to your soul, and then the other big piece about sustainability is the triad,
0: hmm.
1: you know, and that's that transparent space with like Peter James and John where yeah you you know it's like here's everything here's my pain here's my greatest joy and we're really been trying to ring the bell you know for the last year to kind of say to every missionary like you have to have your a triad yeah and you have to know how to do that kind of relational work and spiritual work and emotional work with each other it's basically like you're trying to get the community of the trinity into this like triad you know yeah that's Um, beautiful so we really feel like You know, if you create this culture of soul care and spiritual formation, if everybody's in a triad and then you're also being equipped, you know, like as a missionary formation, that apostolic, like (laughs) Like, when all five are there, you know, like, yeah, it will be self-sustaining self-regenerating, especially if it's a decentralized network. Yep. Because, um, then you're like anything that becomes a hierarchy, there's a life cycle on it.
0: Yep. That's true.
1: The clock's going to start ticking and you're going to hit the top of the bell curve. It's going to die like a decentralized movement. There's like waves and it regenerates. And this part maybe is like cycling yeah. down a little bit, but this part's cycling up. And this part, <laughs> this node can send energy over to this node. So we're still newbies at this, man. Like I've seen it in America and, and outside of America, you know? Right. Yeah. But already we're seeing like how the new hubs are arising with different strengths. And think, like, we need to submit to them. Like yeah. we don't have a mothership hub and then all the hubs are equal, you know? And that's the other thing I think that will sustain us is like allowing this network of equipping teams to complement and mutually submit to one another and, um, and not try to have every hub be all things to all people, you know?
0: Right. I mean, you know, as I've been, I've been inside, uh, you know, institutional church. I've been on the edges in in movements, disciple making movements in the Middle East among Muslim background people, doing all sorts of different things. One of the things that I've, you know, the cry of people's hearts in America is one they haven't been discipled by others very well because they're crying out for fathers and mothers in the faith that they don't mm-hmm. have. Um, and there's also a lot of, you know, you know, when I came back four years ago from the Middle East, one thing I really noticed was uh, mental health issues in America more than ever before. A lot of anxiety, depression, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's very common. And I think both of those things are at a place where there's a disconnect between the community that was formed and their the actual authenticity of of faith and you know discipleship with other people. Um, and what you're describing seems to me a a real raw, honest life on life. We're getting in the mess and the muck and I actually get to see you and get to be seen. Um, it's a beautiful thing how can we get the the people that are on the the edges where they're crying out for for that to be seen uh, to be heard to be valued uh into a place where they have authentic community and authentic faith with others
1: mm, man well you know i think i i hope this isn't I, I, I'm i not trying to throw shade on anybody and I've spent most of my life leading in large organized churches. Yeah. Um, but I would say if you're in a organized church, um, it's likely that you'll have to be a self-starter. Mm. You know, it, the, the systems probably aren't going to really set up Genuine community. And they, and here's what's here's the difficulty because most churches are organized around a weekend service and then small groups. Yep. yep. You know, and small groups um, were designed basically to be relational flypaper so that people wouldn't leave. Like we want to clo- quote unquote <laughs> close the back door yeah. of the church. So they offer like the promises community. But it, it's a certain level of community or type of community because you've got people, they're being organized into groups. They're typically from different relational networks. You know, most of the time the groups aren't like neighborhood based. It's like it's a Wednesday night group and it's six couples from different parts of the city and they all drive in together. Right. Yeah. You know, and so there's limitations on what level of life you can do together. Yep. Because, you, each one of those couples is like probably in five or six different relational networks already. And now I'm in another one and we're right. supposed to quote unquote do life together. Uh, and it's like, how oh, am I going to do that? So yep. it usually sort of ends up being, we meet, we discuss content, we give some quick prayer requests, we text a little bit during the week um, and it, and it may kind of be a stopgap, gap, but it, right. it's not really soul satisfying over time.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: So like basically what we're trying to do, if you're like a person that's out there, it's like look at the model of Jesus. He had like number one is time with his father. So you uh Henry Noun says and he's talking about church leaders, but he's like, if shepherds aren't alone with the father, they basically become um like cannibals. They're gonna go and try mm. to eat their sheep wow. <laughs> to find their sense of identity. <laughs> wow. You know, so it's like you gotta go every day, be alone yeah. with your father, remember your identity, remember your destiny, and then begin to try to intentionally build three and 12. Mm. Um, but the best way to do that is gonna be within your current relational network. Um, because if you're trying to do it with people from a bunch of different networks, often it doesn't work very well. So it's a longer play, it's a slower play, yeah. Um. but it's ultimately way more satisfying Like now we have like the one, the three, the 12, the 72, like all nesting, like a Russian Mm. nesting Yeah, And it's like the greatest life possible to me. I'm like, every, this is why Jesus did it this way. This is the best way to live, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And, and so I would say, you know, ask the Lord to highlight to you who are those one or two people that you really want to begin to invest in and become intentional with, you know? Yeah. And, and then, uh, the same with the 12 and, and there's, you know, I would encourage you also, um, there's some really great resources out there now. And, uh, like there's a a book that's called discipleship that fits that's about those different social spaces and how to build those, you know? We've actually got a whole team that's called relational wholeness down the underground. And a big part of what they do is like train people how to do triads.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: So we, if if someone's interested, there's a free training huddle. It's uh, if you go to maturityonmission.com it's an eight week training huddle to help people form a healthy triad. Wow. That's so great. they can check that out.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, you also, you know, you just, you just gotta have a new book out. Look at the Starfish and the Spirit. And uh Yes sir. I love it. I think it's great. You, Thanks. Lance Ford, yeah. Alan Hirsch helped out too. And uh, you know, in that one of the things you talk about is the difference between uh, a movement of disciple making, disciple making movement. Um one is to right, rejuvenate the the core and one is to go to the edges. What's the what do you see the difference? What is the difference between those two?
1: Yeah, thanks for bringing that up, man. Um Basically, the story behind it is having this, Um, it's like 15 years of sort of experiments and failures and repentance of going, <laughs> okay, like there's something that happens in the harvest. Yeah. And it's the way like people meet Jesus and there's like this viral thing do it. And I've seen flashes of it even here in America, like that youth ministry right. was talking about. I remember yep. one weekend we had like, 40 something of our friends come to Christ in one weekend. And it was like, what is going on? You know? Like, yeah. It's literally going viral. You know? Yeah. This is amazing. And we'd spend Fridays like at the mall with the skaters, and then we'd go to the arcade and you know, tell our friends about Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but then I've also noticed, um, especially working inside the church, like you have these people who are already believers. Yeah. And um and there's like a lot of unlearning they have to do to really get in the game with Jesus. Yep. Cause there's a, you know, Christendom form of the faith, like a cultural Christianity that's sort of inoculated them into mm-hmm. thinking the faith is about like pretty much just believing the right things, kind of getting my th- theological furniture correctly arranged and right. like, you know, and then doing the church activity. Like, am I an attender? Am, do right. I invite people? Do I volunteer? Am I, a member, am I? And you can do all those things and never be a disciple maker, but yep. you're a great church member or whatever. Right. You know, yeah. So the the analogy is like, okay, it's like the woman at the well is disciple making movements. It's yep. like boom, you hit a person of peace. It goes viral through a network. It starts to go multi generational pretty quickly. Whereas movements of disciple making is like Jesus and his work with the twelve. I've got these like good religious boys, right. and I have to deconstruct their image of God. Their image of their self, what my mission is, how to relate to the other, like even how to pray. Like they, they know how to pray, but they eventually realize, Oh, we don't really know how to pray. Can you teach us how to pray Jesus? (laughs) Even though I've prayed my whole life, I'm realizing I don't actually know how to pray. And that's a different type of work. It's a slow burn. The goal is eventually that that will go viral and multiplicative too, but it's like (laughs) a slow build. And it's about, so one disciple making movements is really about the regeneration of the lost. Right. Movements of disciple making is about revival of the believer. Um, basically disciple making movements is usually happening in kind of a pre-modern or post-modern kind of context mm-hmm. and, and just dis- movements of disciple making is kind of in the dim or the Christian subculture. And, you know, if you look at Paul, he's kind of operating a lot in disciple making movements, but Peter is more like movements of disciple making. Like I'm going to just stay here in Jerusalem and we're yeah. kind of like, redisciplining the people of God into the mission of God again right. you know and what we're saying is what we've learned here in Kansas City um in particular is there's like a different set of tools there's a different mobilization pathway hmm. but they need to be sort of like integrated like DNA you know like strings of DNA and you can actually be uh catalyzing both of these, and need to catalyze both of these to really get to gospel saturation in the city. Huh. And, um, you know, so we, in the book, we really try to uh, tease out what that means. You yeah. know, what are the different mobilization pathways look like? What are the different tools that you used? Um, and what's interesting is the Kansas City Underground, I would say was actually born out of a movement of disciple making. So now it's kind of right. an organization that's pretty much committed to DMM,
0: Right, yep. but
1: it was birthed out of movements of disciple making because at Westside we created these what we call intentional disciple making environments. Yep, and like the first one Brian Phipps created, um, and then I helped him like with the second and third iteration of it. It's called Followers Made, and it's literally a six month journey that you do in a twelve with triads. Yeah, and it's like we're gonna teach a believer how to actually become a disciple maker. So there's kind of this unlearning and then relearning. Um, And then we created something called Missionaries Made. It's a four-month journey to learn gospel fluency, to learn missionary rhythms, to learn about people of peace, you know. And we started building these different, what we call now, IDEs. And it was the people who had been through those that were the first batch of missionaries and microchurch leaders in the underground. Um, And they were, now they've been able to pivot to DMM because yep. basically the movement of disciple making, what we're doing is we're seeding DMM ideas and tools a little bit right. at a time, yep. you know, inside of it. Um, so it's it's been really an amazing journey, man.
0: Wow, that's fun. What are, I mean, what are some of the, uh, if you're a leader of a church and, or on, you know, on the core team of a church and you say, hey, we wanna create a movement of disciple makings and we wanna move towards this. Um, and what would you say to them? What are the, some of the principles, the things that they need to do to get there?
1: That's awesome. Well, of course, begin with prayer and fasting. And, um, you know, if, if it's just you or you're just your staff to begin to, um, you know, say to the Lord, um, Lord, what is it that we need to repent of? Lord, what is it that we're not seeing that we need to see? Um, Because if we don't have disciple makers, we have to begin with prayer and we have to begin with repentance. And it often is like, I remember me Hmm. at one point at Granger where I kind of mentioned I lost my way. And I remember at one point in time, I was standing at the end of my driveway and I realized like, I don't really know my neighbors Hmm. and I'm not really discipling anybody anymore. Yeah. And I, uh, it broke my heart. Like I was like, Lord, what happened? Hmm. Yeah. Like, I used to be a guy who lead his neighbors to Christ. I was the guy who was always discipling somebody. I'm like, and I was, I'm like so busy running these big programs of this big church mm-hmm. that I was like giving myself discipleship credit. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Like, I'm helping, and I like went in and repented to my wife. Like you have to mm-hmm. repent to the Lord, but you also have to confess your sins to each other. I'm like, I'm hung, we have to start over again. I'm sorry. You know? And, and usually that is always the beginning of a real movement of disciple making. It's yeah. a church leader who's willing to admit that they're not yeah. trying to launch a new program or something. They're yeah. like going, Oh God, I need to change. And that's where it starts. Then it's like, yeah, I would say to that church leader, like ask the Lord to give you the names of the 12, hmm. do what Jesus did. He spent a whole night in prayer. Like, so get into some kind of extraordinary prayer. Maybe it's a night of prayer or maybe it's like two weeks of intentional prayer and say, Lord, show me the names of those you want me to disciple. And then I would encourage you to go on an intentional limited duration journey with them you know yeah of how do i help these believers become disciple makers you know and there's a lot of different um tools that you can use for that um you know i would like i mentioned earlier like you could use something like followers made or uh there's another great one out there called rooted where it's like begin to invest your life into 12 and build in this idea of reproduction and multiplication like from the very beginning, like when we started Followers Made, we communicate, you're going to be leading other people in this. Right, Like yeah. at the end of the six months, you're going to have everything you need. God's going to be showing you who these people are. And we average, like we've been doing it now almost 10 years, Followers Made. And we can keep track of it statistically because it operates in an app. So yeah. right at 30% <laughs> of the people that go through Followers Made actually go on to make disciples through Followers Made. And wow. the actual reproduction yeah. rate's even higher than that because not everybody uses Followers Made to yep. make disciples. Like I'm making disciples in my neighborhood. I'm not using bowlers made, <laughs> right. you know what I yeah, mean? Exactly. Cause it wouldn't make sense in this yeah. context. It, it wouldn't work yeah. because it's for believers. <laughs> right. Start
0: with believers. Yeah, Exactly. Um,
1: so that's what I would say, I'd say, man, just start with your own journey mm-hmm. of discipling 12. And, and if you keep that up of like, I'm discipling 12 and let's say at least 30% of them go on to begin to disciple, then you you're building in now a decentralized network. Yeah. Cause now you're coaching those that are doing those other three and you keep up kind of raising up new circles of disciple making with new coaches. Yeah. Um and that's that's where it begins. And what and in a lot of churches it's like you could start that like yeast like in the dough. Mm. And you don't have to do a sermon series. You right. you don't have a big sign up. You do it yeah. like Jesus did, a high bar challenge invite to a few and you just keep reproducing that. Mm.
0: Yeah, one of the things that's really impacted me right now is is John 12:24 that unless the seed falls into the ground and dies it doesn't bear fruit it doesn't multiply and multiplication comes from death and Mm -hmm. Actually, you know, in what you were saying and in the repentance and the saying, hey, I'm not doing something. I have to die to the dream that I had. Or it was a painful death when you transitioned out of out of Granger. Right. It was a painful death for that for you of one dream into another thing. Um, What is the role of of death for multiplication?
1: And that's a (coughs) excuse me. That's where I cough and try to change the topic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I know, it's a
0: hard one. I'm trying to wrap my head around it, so I want to know.
1: <laughs> no, it, I mean, I feel like the deeper I go with the Lord, it's, it is about, I don't know, 10 or 20 little deaths and resurrections every day. Yeah. You know, of... um Like we were just having a conversation on the way back from that hub gathering I was talking to you about where, you know, these four different equipping teams that have risen up in the city came together for a meeting and was really excited that, you know, um, a couple of those hub teams are being led by people of color, but it was still 90% white people in the room. Right. You know, and one of the folks that was on one of those teams, you know, at the end we were talking and she... She noted that, you know, she's like, it's still, you know, 90% white people in here and this this room has to look more and more like our city, you know, and then there's part of me that's like, yeah, but at least we're making progress. Can't we just celebrate it for a minute? (laughs) Right. Like, you know, but that's the part where I have to go. No, I have to hold this tension and die because you're right. You're right. Yeah. And I'm glad for the progress we've made, but I can't use that as like a defense to reject the reality of what's going on in the room which yep. is still ninety percent yeah, exactly. white people and if we're gonna reach our city it can't be that way you yep. know and i just had to choose like, like okay i'm gonna hold that tension and you got, mm. you're absolutely right and and that part of that is like the white fragility of like i need you to notice how hard i'm trying to do this racial reconciliation you know? <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> it's like bro we have no idea their pain
0: right yeah. the
1: marginalization they've experienced generationally Yep. Like how dare I be offended that yeah. she bring up the fact that the reality is it's, you know what I mean? Right. And I, and it I think that's what it looks like. It's like uh be instead of being dull and drowsy and just going with my sort of knee jerk defense mechanisms, it's like being awake to the holy spirit and going yeah that hurts but it's right. Yeah. And I need to crucify my defensiveness right now. Hmm. Or this room will never change. Right. It'll keep looking just like this. Yeah. If I'm the white guy who keeps going, well, can't you notice the progress we've made? Yeah. Rather than like, no, spirit of repentance. And I do think there are these very key liminal moments, like at Granger, um, where you have to let something that's, that is your, it's your, it's your baby. Yeah. It's Abraham. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm going up to the mountain. Yeah. And I have to let this thing die. I have to be willing to let it die, you know? And, and what happened for me at that point in time in my story, you know, was realizing how much of my identity I had wrapped up into the story of that church and my role at that church. And, and then how much of that was tied into some really deep wounds from my family of origin Yeah, that I was trying to, you know, um, basically medicate through ministry
0: yep.
1: rather than bring it to jesus and let, the, let him heal me and the gospel heal me mm. and it was only through like no i have to let this whole thing die yeah or i'm not actually going to get well yeah you know and that doesn't happen every day i think that happens to us maybe two or three times in a lifetime where you reach right. a moment and the lord's yep. like and you see it in the life of like Moses and David and all these other people, like they yep. get the dream and then it has to literally die. Yeah. <laughs> and then the Lord's like, and then I can give it back to you in a different form later. Yeah.
0: yeah. You know? Uh, yeah. And it bears more fruit in the long run and it's better for us. And we grow out of that. And we actually be able to deny ourselves and to pick up our cross, to be able to follow Jesus and, you know, it all boils down, I think, as you're talking about reproducing of disciples and micro churches and, and gathering together. It boils down to following the lead of the, the Spirit, of looking to Him, making Jesus the center. He is Lord of all. It's not really, you know, about the right methodology. It's about following His lead in the yeah. midst of everything that we do. And if we're submitted to him in that way with other people, there's no telling what could happen there. We will see transformation of Kansas City from within. We're going to see the gospel saturate every nook and cranny of Kansas City. It's going to happen if we follow him, submit to him and get out of our own way. Um, Amen. And so that's beautiful. And I thank you for your story. Um, and it's it's great, and I think it's inspiring to me um, as somebody as a resident of Kansas City. I want to see this happen. I, yes. I'm all for it. Let's do it. Let's go. Um, yeah. There's a couple of questions I like to ask at the end, and one is: uh, Now, you know, as you've been living your journey, what's something a piece of advice that you would love to give your 21 year old self as you oh, are starting wow. out? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh rob 21 <laughs> year old rob um i think i'd go back to what i just said i would say rob there's some things that you can't really see yet that um are driving you and rather than being led by the spirit you're kind of being driven by some things that um are deep wounds inside of you yeah. And it's going to take, you know, this current re- version of Rob, like, um, it took me well into my 30s before I was willing to listen to the pain, listen to the voice of the spirit, look at some of the collateral damage I had created, like in my marriage yeah. or even my parenting, you know. And, um, and I wish that um I would have listened earlier, you know. It's like yeah. don't it, I think I was a little bit like Luke Skywalker, you know, and you would know, just like go into that tunnel. I'm like, I don't <laughs> I don't know. I'd just rather stay out here and like do flips and <laughs> or not use my lightsaber, like you know, and it was yeah. like, like a lack of confidence in the goodness of Jesus. Mm. you yeah. know. Mm. And So I just I would tell my younger self like just go in earlier, go in that tunnel earlier. Mm. Yeah, that's and it's hard. You know, it's like
0: it is. It's really hard.
1: It's you can only go in when you can go in. I don't know how much earlier I could have really gone in. Right. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's the the way
1: of it. But I would at least love to tell my (laughs) twenty-one-year-old version like go in with less collateral damage yeah <laughs> go, go in a little earlier wouldn't know, we go all? like your 30s go in at like 25 bro <laughs> try that yeah wouldn't we all wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> we all but I, i'm pretty sure my 25 year old self would be like hey i'm doing stuff out right here man leave me alone <laughs> yeah it's true
0: it's like i'm doing the work this is fun and it's awesome you it's see awesome. what i'm doing it's uh-huh. amazing <laughs> <laughs> i would have said the same thing uh you know, I'm a three on like, the enneagram, so it's like, yeah. look what I'm achieving. Yeah. You know,
1: this is what I'm doing with
0: Jesus. You know, yeah. and it's like, yeah. yeah, me too. I'm a three. It's a challenge, you know. It's a isn't it? <laughs> it's all about. Hey, what's their next big achievement? What are you doing? So, yeah. trying to actually unmask yourself and trying to figure out right, who are you really? What is your true identity? And it's only found in Jesus, right? And so, mm-hmm. as soon as we unmask ourselves the achievement looks different because it's rooted in our true identity. Um, Yeah. So besides the starfish (coughs) spirit, which is a great book that I would recommend uh, anything that you've been reading or watching that you would want to recommend.
1: Oh man. So many good things. (laughs) Um, Yeah. The, uh, I know this is going to, it's probably just gonna sound like nerdery <laughs> but um if you have not watched
0: the mandalorian oh it's so good it's so good it is so good
1: it you know i i you know i was eight years old when star wars came out so yeah. i just grew up like with all my star wars figures and my empire strikes back snow fortress with the exploding ice wall and you know like <laughs> it, and what's really so beautiful about the Mandalorian it it actually flips the Star Wars script Mm -hmm. so almost all of Star Wars is about dysfunctional fathers and sons that are estranged the Mandalorian is about like a man who's becoming a father who'll chase his son Mm -hmm. to help him become everything he's meant to be and lay his life down for him and it was like to me so beautiful against the backdrop of all the other Star Wars stuff it's like it made it shine even brighter and that it that pursuit brought the Mandalorian into his true identity and out of his toxic shame culture that he was in and then allowed Grogu to find his name and (laughs) find (laughs) his mentor, you know, I don't want to spoil the whole thing, but (laughs) yeah, I just, I mean, I was waiting like a, like, and I felt like I was eight years old every Friday. I was like, "Yay! Yeah, I'm staying <laughs> in line for Star Wars again. Uh, yeah. My <laughs> and wife and I was literally felt like I got transported back to my childhood, yeah. except it was like filled with the gospel. And yeah. I love wow. it. Wow. That's beautiful.
0: <laughs> Man, it's making me see Mandalorian in a whole new way uh, of what you just said. And so it's beautiful. I almost teared up just listening to the pursuit of the child, you know? Yes. Huh? it was just so good it's you uh, know,
1: that my uh this is one of my christmas presents from one of my daughters so oh. i I keep, I keep grogu with me <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's awesome i i mean i uh i wore a darth vader shirt for the birth of my son because my son was named you know, we named him luke we didn't name him luke because of luke skywalker but we did name him luke so i wore my darth vader shirt and said luke i'm your father that's um, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> My other daughter got me
1: a vintage metal Star Wars lunchbox from like 79. Oh, that's so cool. And <laughs> they knew I was just like lit up about the Mandalorian. Man.
0: <laughs> that's amazing. So they were like, we're giving your childhood back to you, dad. Here you go. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, Rob, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, it was such a pleasure to talk to you. So thank you so much.
1: You too, Josh. Really great conversation. Thanks, man.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to see more episodes like this, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron of the show you can help us produce more episodes so that we can see the body of Christ look more like Jesus. If you become a patron on patreon.com slash Shifting Culture, you will get early access to episodes, you will get episode guides, you will get bonus shows, hopefully, and more. So go to patreon.com slash Shifting Culture and become a monthly patron. Also, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, It really helps us out and helps us find new listeners to the show and just go and share this podcast with your friends, your family, your network, people that you think would enjoy it as well. Thank you again for listening to the show. I hope you have a great week.